Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Last day of the week for Michelle Smallman, who's going to take a brief, well-deserved vacation after today. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, that's the only positive thing for me this morning. Is what that else is going on, I'm Michelle? Going on Randy, the Cardinals... Where do we begin? I'll just start with this. I am concerned. I'm concerned. Concern is a good thing. As Rick Horton told us yesterday, you're never as bad as you look and you're never as good as you think you are. But things are bleak right now. I go back to uh, this is kind of an early Uncle Randy, which we have coming up, by the way, later in the show today. Uh, is that going to be at 8.15? Yeah, I think we're an hour late. Oh, no, Ask Uncle Randy. It's almost at the end of the show, 9.45 today. Wow. So, uh, but anyway, an, an early Ask Uncle Randy. Back in the day, the back in my day, the uh, old St. Louis football Cardinals had a head coach named Gene Stallings. It was from Paris, Texas. He came here from the Cowboys. He'd been an assistant to Bear Bryant at Alabama, and he always maintained his Texas drawl. Okay. And that's where, for example, the phrase, the fun is in the winning, came from. Well, he started off 0-5, and I recall in about week four of that season, maybe week three after they lost, we all go into the press conference, and he says, fellas, we're kind of scuffling. And the Cardinals are kind of scuffling right now. Six consecutive losses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of guys on the injured list. And it just feels lackluster. It feels as if there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We, and I, I'm wondering if this is the earliest, perhaps, in our history of working together, the earliest point in the season that we have a full panic bus. Oh, uh, I think, yeah, people are definitely on the panic bus. I think they should be. Because normally we'll wait till the All-Star break or in hockey. You'll wait till it's closer to the end of the season to really rule out a playoff position. But it feels like people are on the panic bus as we sit here on June 9th. Well, Michelle, my sincere hope, perhaps even prayer, is that Adam Wainwright can stem the tide tonight. Because if Adam Wainwright does not stem the tide tonight, by the time you are back next Tuesday, the Cardinals will have lost 11 in a row, and they'll be at least seven games behind the Cubs. Yikes. Because if Adam doesn't win, they're getting swept by the Cubs. And this is what happens when you lose your number one starter in Jack Flaherty. And the guy that you hope can step up and be a number two 
Carlos Martinez allows five runs on seven hits over four innings and has his Randy Carricker bad golf hole. I texted Danny Mac last night. Carlos Martinez pitching is like me playing golf. I, I can go par, 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 10. And that's exactly what Carlos does. He goes scoreless, 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 five. And then scoreless again, and then all of a sudden he's out of the game. And Carlos Martinez, the two times this season when the team has really needed him, when the pressure was on, when the moment was there, the opportunity presented itself for him to rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. We had a historically bad outing, and then we had him blow up again last night, which is not great. And even though I have confidence in Adam Wainwright to go out there and put the Cardinals in a good position, I don't know if I have confidence in the offense, Randy, to back him up. So... Even if Adam Wainwright goes out there and helps his team out when they need him, which we've seen him do many times before, the team as a collective, I don't know if they're capable of pulling out a win right now. Yeah, they look really, really bad. And I'm with you. I I, I don't know if they are either. But uh, And here's the thing. Bieber was unstable in that game last night, and the Cardinals weren't able to get to him. They had an opportunity. But they just weren't able to get the big hit against him. And when you, when you talk about the offense struggling, Edmund 0 for 5, Carlson 0 for 4, Goldie 1 for 3, Arenado 0 for 4, uh, Tyler O'Neill goes 1 for 3 and scores the Cardinal run. Matt Carpenter and Edmundo Sosa are your offensive stalwarts last night. So you really are missing a lot of things. In terms of playing quality baseball, the one thing that you have going for you is your defense, but your pitching isn't there and your hitting isn't there. And ordinarily in that sport, if you don't pitch and you don't hit, things aren't going to go very well. And you have pitchers again with the walks, hitting batters. Yeah. That That's one thing that we had seen as a, as a negative trend before the injuries happened, before we saw the stagnation of the offense. So to have all of these things come together in a terrible confluence it's just just, I feel like dumb and dumber where it's like we're losing our jobs our pets heads are falling off everything is going wrong for the Cardinals at once you know Mercury is in retrograde by the way so so maybe when we come out of that I think it's June 22nd we can think that things might turn around good tonight Wayno does go for the Cardinals he'll be opposed by Giancarlo Mejia I'm going to call him Giancarlo because it just sounds better, even though it's probably Giancarlos. I'm going to call him Giancarlo Mejia. And he's uh, won his only start. He's 1-0 with a 0.00 ERA and nine strikeouts. And Adam Wainwright will be with us in the 8 o'clock hour here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to chatting with Wayno as always. But 65780, are you on the panic bus right now with the Cardinals? Is it, <sighs> is it too early or are you on the panic bus? If it Actually, maybe let me rephrase that. If you're not on the panic bus, 65780, let us know why. I'll tell you what, Michelle. Last night, you felt like the Cardinals had a chance just because the Indians can't hit. Exactly. And they put 10 up on you. So, yeah, this is this is bad news. It is. And we are, if we're the Sunshine Lollipop show. We're the positive show. Yeah. And if we can't find any positive positivity here, you know it's bad. But when Carlos, his last four and two-thirds innings, 15 runs. He's allowed 15 runs. Hmm. That's Probably not going to win you many games. No. But at least he's giving him. Oh, no, he's not giving him innings either. Uh, (laughs) They are not on the panic bus. They might be on the panic bus in Denver this morning with their uh, Colorado Avalanche. Vegas, not so much. Vegas comes back after trailing 2-0 last night. 
Mark Stone scores in overtime to give the Golden Knights a 3-2 victory over the Avalanche and a stranglehold in that series, three games to two as it goes back to Vegas. And even though he wasn't one of the three stars, Michelle, Alex Petrangelo controlled that game. From the second period on, defensively, he was making plays all over the place. Offensively, he assisted on the game-winning goal. I believe he led them in ice time. He had, uh, yeah, 23-51, led him in ice time by a wide margin. He was just terrific last night. And this is a guy that's still in his prime, and he's exactly what the Golden Knights needed to try to get over the top. And the reason that Colorado can't do what they like to do is because Petrangelo is playing his game. He is exactly what the Blues could have used, too. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I felt this way, and he moved, removed after the Blues get bounced in the first round and watching Alex Petrangelo be Alex Petrangelo, I still understand why Doug Armstrong didn't want to give him the no-movement clause. From a business perspective, I understand why Army had to stand firm. But gosh, you watch Petro go out there and and show you why he's worth the money and why he was worthy of the C on his sweater, and you really miss him. Well, and here's the thing. With the Blues, they had won. Vegas... They went to the finals in their first year, and they wanted to maintain this window. And it's not very wide because they've got a lot of guys in their 30s with big contracts. They're going to they're gonna be bad for a while. They're going to go Blackhawks on mm-hmm. us because of the cap. But they wanted to win a cup, and they made a huge desperation move. But it's probably going to pay off for them. I, th- I still think they're the best team. By the way, at 8.30 or 7.30, coming up in about 20 minutes, we want you to think about this before you text in or send us your mic drop. With their current contracts... Which blue that's remaining in the playoffs, which Stanley Cup champion blue that's remaining in the playoffs, would you want back? Petro with his deal that includes the no movement, Maroon with his deal that has another year to go at just over a million dollars, or Joel Edmondson who signed for four years and I believe a little over 20 million. We'll give you the exact contract details when we get to the segment, but think about it. If you want to use the Rhino Shield mic drop, feel free to do that or send us a text coming up at the bottom of the hour. The other game last night, by the way, the Lightning defeated the Hurricanes 2-0 and wins the series four games to one, so Patrick Maroon again Again for the third year in a row in the final four go patty maroon so cool. so pumped for him and i i read a lot about him last night for our upcoming segment randy and um he has been very valuable for mm. for tampa bay in a lot of different ways we're going to expand on this at 7 30 but it's more than just what you see on the ice he is a huge piece of the puzzle for them and was a huge catalyst towards their success nba last night sixers knock off the hawks 118 102 series even at a game apiece jazz win game one over the clippers 112 to 109 the suns will try to take a two nothing lead over the nuggets we need all these denver teams to lose all right yes but it's easy for us to cheer against them, not only because the Kroenke family owns them, but we're cheering for Petro. We love Petro. Mm-hmm, yep. We want him to have success. And how can you not be cheering for the Suns? They're probably the most likable team left in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm with you there. I'm not going to root for Michael Porter Jr. over the Suns because they're like, I like the Suns better. Yeah, of course. I'm not, I'm not rooting for I'm not rooting. Even There's, if Michael Porter Jr. wasn't on matter. the team, we're not cheering for them. The only reason the Porter's on the team is because it's a Mizzou team, right? Yeah, sure. Now, here's the question. What if Bradley Beal or Jason Tatum was playing for the Nuggets? I'd feel sorry for him. I would, too. I but would, we, we still couldn't cheer for couldn't, him. Couldn't cheer for him. Nikola Jokic, uh, Jokic wins the MVP of the NBA this year. That's his first. 
And uh, that brings you up to date on everything that's happening. Cardinals again. I don't know if we even gave the final. They lost 10 to 1. Can I read some quickly some texts? Sure. I'm not on the panic bus. Over the course of a long season, I never panic until the Cardinals are actually eliminated. Plus, the current lineup isn't even close to the healthy team lineup. This is true. Harrison Bader said yesterday that he is in 24-hour pain, nonstop pain with that broken rib, and he's not close to being back. Paul DeYoung rehabbing in Memphis, closer to being back. 24-7 pain. Yeah, with, with a bad rib. Think about this, and Harrison Bader's a tough guy, good player, tough guy, and he's in 24-7 pain with a cracked rib, mm-hmm. all right? Isaac Bruce played in the Super Bowl after getting a cracked rib on the second play of the game. But when you're in the Super Bowl, you just find a way to get through. Yeah, he did. That's incredible. Because it hurts to breathe. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, too. Didn't he have yeah, cracked yep, ribs against in, Winnipeg. Right. in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Unreal. Respect. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk some more Cardinals and find out where they go from here with former Redbird Xavier Scruggs. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Friend of the show, Xavier Scruggs. Xavier is the Cardinals consultant for diversity, equity, and inclusion. He's a broadcaster. He'll be on the game tonight on ESPN between the Angels and the Royals. And he has a new podcast coming out called The Bigs. And fortunately for us, Xavier is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mr. Scruggs, we know you're busy, so we appreciate your time. How you doing? No, I'm doing good. Thank you guys for uh, having me. I'm I'm excited to jump on here this morning in between picking up Fruit Loops on the ground with my kids this morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, everything is good over here. Hey, I want to know about uh, The Bigs, the podcast. Yeah, The Bigs, man. This is something really special. Um, it's, it, it's actually been in the works for for probably close to a year now, um, just between a lot of discussions with MLB and making sure that this was promoted the right way, marketed the right way, branded the right way, and for all the right reasons, right? Um, My position with the Cardinals being the diversity and inclusion consultant, um, I felt like it was important for me to be able to put something like this out, to have those conversations with players of all different types of backgrounds. A lot of times when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's more focused on the numbers, right? Bringing in the right amount of numbers when it comes to diversity, making sure that, um, you know, all the status quos are hit. But for me, that inclusion part is so important. And how do we do that? We celebrate people's backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, all those different types of things and show how everyone actually has some form of, of being able to relate with one another and, and, and what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. So for me, that stems with a lot of people in the baseball industry, a lot of players, obviously, but not just what goes on on the field, all those things that go on off the field, all the little nuances in the clubhouse, all the little dynamics with the team in the dugout, um, you know, team dinners, uh, and just so many opportunities to talk with guys that have been through so much in their journey to quote-unquote, their own success. Everybody defines success differently, and that was an opportunity for me to hit what success looks like for a lot of different guys. And then also what failure looks like, because we know just as much as anybody, 
you know, there's a lot of failure in this game. And how do you bounce back from that? Those things became so important to me when sitting down with these guys. And then also family dynamics. Like a lot of times we don't talk about the support systems that these guys have while they're playing and, and even during the offseason. Those things were so important for me to touch on because a lot of people need those insights to know what's going on behind the player and behind the field. Xavier, some big-name players are going to be joining you on this podcast. Tim Anderson, Trey Mancini, and, of course, St. Louis's own Jack Flaherty. Uh, I know a lot of Cardinal fans are going to be looking forward to that conversation. I don't know if you already spoke to Jack, if this is something you pre-recorded, but if you did, can you tell us what fans can expect from that conversation with Jack Flaherty? Oh, yeah. I, w- the, the episode with Jack Flaherty is done. It's patched up. Um, it's, it's already been produced. It's, it's exciting because I recently just got to listen to it with all the sound design. And for me, this one, this one hits home because it's a lot about his upbringing with his mother and how he was adopted and how she was one of those ones that just impacted him in his life. You know, obviously with just normal family life, but she was huge in his baseball career and you get to hear so much of how she got to deal with him and how he dealt with her and how it wasn't always roses. And there was times when Jack really wanted to quit playing baseball. There was, there was, there was a chance that Jack would not be here as a St. Louis Cardinal today. And you guys will hear about why that is. And so much more. That's the exciting thing with sitting down with Jack is obviously we have a relationship so we're able to get a little bit deeper. And, and that was the main focus for me with a lot of these guys on the podcast is like a lot of podcasts today. We, t- we talk about over the surface stuff, you know, typical interview questions, but no, I, I needed to get deeper with these guys. I need to go player to player aspects because I've been through a lot of that stuff. And I, and I said, you know what, the only way for MLB fans to really get a good idea and a real glimpse of what these guys are like behind the Jersey is really to let them talk about their story in a way that they want to do it, not the way that we want to do it, not the way we want to ask them. Let them attack it the way they want to do it. And that was so special, and Jack took off with that. Xavier, I'm, I was already in to listen to the podcast, but I think that might be the most surprising thing you could ever tell me about Jack Flaherty is that he almost quit something, especially baseball, because we know Jack, Kobe Bryant was his idol. He has that Mamba mentality, that unrelenting strive for greatness and for success. So I'm dying to find out why he almost quit baseball, because I would never in my life picture that that was an option for him. And, and speaking on the Mamba mentality, that was obviously a big theme because you know, Kobe Bryant played a huge part in in the way that Jack has approached baseball and, and just a- athletes in general, the way that they approach the game. Like, that was all Jack's mentality. So just to hear him talk about that and why Mamba, Black Mamba had such an effect on him coming up and, you know, how much he still looks up to what he's done, those things are in the podcast, and I can't wait for everybody to hear it. That podcast by Xavier Scruggs debuts on June 16th. It's called The Bigs. Meanwhile, let's talk about what's going on with our ball club here. A 10-1 loss last night, and the Cardinals just can't seem to find their way at the moment. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think the big thing is is kind of everything is not together, right? We're talking about a time when pitching is not there, when hitting is not there, timely hitting especially, 
and, and uh, just getting guys on base. You're talking about the relief pitching. It's all of that has kind of snowballed <laughs> in one moment. Obviously, there's some injuries. We, we talked about a Jack Flaherty and how he's just went down with the oblique. So there's some issues going on. But this team is 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 built for the long run, and I really believe that. And I think there's opportunity for the team, especially going into the middle of this month going again after they get done playing the Cubs, playing Miami, and then you have an Atlanta, then you have a Detroit, uh, the P- Pittsburgh, and then an Arizona, and then a Colorado. So those series, they have to really take advantage of because those are against some weaker teams. And I feel like if they're able to really take off during that time, they will be just fine. And then they'll get some of those other pieces back in a Jack Flaherty and, and maybe some uh, a reliever if Moe's looking to shop a little bit. So I think those are some things that we can look forward to as Cardinal fans because this team knows how to fight. If there's one thing, this team knows how to fight. And I think we will start to see it come back all together here pretty soon. Well, that's good to hear, Xavier, because we as fans tend to panic. We're looking at six straight losses, a really bad stretch. The the team, 17 games in 17 days, that off day on Monday, much needed. But it's been a grind already, and you're missing so many players to injury. How how do players view this? If you're in the clubhouse and you know that nothing is really working right now and you still have a lot of baseball ahead of you, how do you approach this from a mental standpoint? I think you mentioned a great point, right? The fans have sometimes and supporters of the Cardinal baseball will go into that panic mode. That's what the players will try so hard to not do, right? We, you see it on the field as a player, you see some own personal struggle. Your biggest thing is to start taking it day by day, game by game, pitch by pitch, and don't think about, okay, everything's snowballing up. No, how do we turn it back around? And a lot of times it starts mentally. It starts with, okay, what are the adjustments that I need to make personally? Because everybody has to take accountability now. Everybody is, there's got to be guys stepping up now, understanding that if guys go down, new guys have to step up. And this is an opportunity for you to show the type of player you are at the major league level. So, use this as an opportunity to shine and do that by first mentally getting prepared and knowing what those weaknesses that you have had going into past games and then figure out from there, okay, what do I need to do to break that down before the game? These guys are at the field one o'clock, two o'clock before a seven o'clock game. That's the time that these guys start preparing. So for me as an individual, what do I need to do during that time that's proven for me that I need to get better at. What have I struggled over the past few games, the past few weeks that I need to turn that around? I need to focus on that process now before it's too late. Xavier, along those lines, the Cardinals have counted on Yadi Molina for 17 years to settle things down. When events like this happen, we can always just fall back on Yadi and he'll help the pitching staff calm down. He'll always deliver that big hit. But he's also 38 and isn't going to be here forever. So the one guy that I was thinking about as you talked about preparing yourself and taking advantage of opportunities is Andrew Kisner because he's had the opportunity to watch Yachty. And a lot of times it is that guy behind the plate that has to settle things down for the pitching staff when things are going like they are for the Cardinals right now. Absolutely. He's got to be one of those guys that steps into the role. And for him, he's had a backseat to seeing the way Molina does it. So he can apply that same pressure, that same 
uh, focus towards the pitching staff, but then also do it in a way a little bit different, his own style. So I think it's important for him to really step up in that role. He's got to be the guy when it comes to that. He's got to be, you know, more comfortable being that person because he knows Yachty, like you said, he's not going to be here for much longer. So somebody has to step up, and it has to be him. And then also in that clubhouse, I look to leadership from Goldsmith and Arenado to help turn this ship around and make sure that it's going the right way. Obviously, Schilt plays a huge role in that, but you talk about clubhouse leaders, that's when this becomes so much more important. And I look to guys like even Carpenter, who's been there for a long time, he's got he's to be in that leadership role. He may not be performing to the level that we want him to or that he wants to, but he still has to be a leader when it comes to that clubhouse. That's, this is the time the leaders have to be vocal and step up. Xavier Scruggs, always good to hear your voice, and we look forward to hearing your voice tonight. Royals, Angels on ESPN. It should be fun. All right. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That is Xavier Scruggs cleaning up Fruit Loops and joining Character and Smallman. He's a busy guy. He is. And The Bigs is his podcast, and that'll start on all of your favorite podcast platforms starting on June 16th. And I'm like you. I'm looking forward to the Jack Flaherty episode. Can you imagine Jack Flaherty at any point in his life ever saying he wanted to quit anything? I can't. It is such a part of his DNA, that Mamba mentality, that, as I mentioned to Xavier, that relentless pursuit of greatness that I can't imagine him saying uncle or waving the white flag. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, there are four former Blues Stanley Cup champions still alive in the playoffs. If you could have back Alex Petrangelo, Patrick Maroon, Joel Edmondson, or tell you what they are on the other side of the break, who would you pick? We want your texts and your mic drops next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) You have three Blues Stanley Cup champions that are headed to the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and Alex Petrangelo is right behind them. Joel Edmondson and Jake Allen with Montreal. Patrick Maroon with the Tampa Bay Lightning. They advanced to the final four last night. And Alex Petrangelo, his team is one game away. Michelle, last offseason, Edmondson was traded to the Canadians by Carolina and subsequently signed a four-year $14 million contract with the Canadians, $3.5 million a year cap hit through 2024. Edmondson, of course, 6'4", 227, led the NHL in plus-minus this past season. Jake Allen, as the backup to Carey Price, signed a two-year deal for $5.75 million, a cap hit through the 2022-2023 season at 2.875 per. Patrick Maroon in his second season with the Lightning won the Cup in his first year with Tampa. And he has a $900,000 contract this year and next. $900,000 cap hit. And then, of course, Alex Petrangelo. We know about his deal. It's $8.8 million per season cap hit through 2026-2027 with the no-movement clause as well. Of those four players, which one would you want on the Blues? You get them for next season, but you also get the rest of the contract. So if you get Petro, you've got him at $8.8 million per season cap hit through 27, as an example, or Maroon at the other end of the spectrum through next year at $900,000. Who are you taking? 
I think this answer is pretty obvious, at least from where I'm sitting. And I'm surprisingly not picking Alex Petrangelo, who the Blues could have absolutely used this past season. And we're seeing his skill set once again on display for Vegas right now. When Alex Petrangelo is dominant, he can take over a game. He's absolutely amazing. But Randy, when I look at some of the issues the Blues had this past season, or maybe some of the characteristics that this team was lacking, they really missed that gritty, tough personality. And during a lot of stretches, Craig Ruby called them fragile. They really missed a guy that wasn't afraid to get in front of the net, get that big body in front of there, get those greasy goals. And so for me, if I could take any guy, including their contract, I'm taking Pat Maroon, who you know played a very valuable role for the St. Louis Blues and was a a major piece of the puzzle towards their success. And you're telling me that it's only a 900K AAV. I'm only taking a $900,000 cap hit. I'm absolutely bringing Pat Maroon back. And I was reading a lot about him last night, Randy, and the role that he has played in Tampa. And obviously he won a Stanley Cup with them. They're in a position to do so yet again. And every person that was, there's a great piece on Pat Moran at The Athletic, by the way. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's, uh, they're basically crowdsourcing stories from people who have known Pat Moran since he was a kid up until people who play with him currently about what makes the big rig so valuable to every team he's ever been on. And it's that you guys are bleeped attitude that he brings to the team. He's always one of the guys who's mixing it up in the locker room. He brings guys together on the road for dinners to have beers. And he's just a fun loving guy that always lightens it up a little bit. But when the Lightning were struggling early on, when Pat Maroon came over there, remember they had an early exit in the playoffs and they were really they were really struggling to mentally get over that. Pat Maroon, uh, in a classic Pat Maroon style, said, these guys don't bleeping get it here. And he made sure to talk to the coach about that. And they said, voice your opinion. We need you to say something because you weren't here and you obviously had success this the season prior. So he spoke to the team and said, bleep last year. We need to come together. He took them out on the road. They all went out. They had beers. They had a bonding experience. They were able to turn the page because of the initiation and the mentality that Pat Maroon instilled in them. And they went on to win a Stanley Cup. And so not only from from an on the ice standpoint, could the Blues have certainly used Pat Maroon and his body in front of the net. They could have used him off the ice as well. I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to the other end of the ice because the Blues, as we know, never effectively replaced Jay Bowmeister. And what Craig Bruby and the Blues want to do and the way they want this team built is to succeed defensively and have a big, strong defense that can get the puck out of their own zone. And I'm going to take the guy that doesn't turn 28 until later this month. As I mentioned, 6'4", 227, a, a great defenseman who has found himself and has a lot of those attributes that you're talking about with Patrick Maroon. And that's Joel Edmondson. Uh, I'm with you. I, I don't want to have that $8.8 million no, tri- no movement clause with Petro, as great as he is. And mm-hmm. he's, of the four, he's the best player of these four. Right. But when you're adding this contract and this guy to the Blues for the rest of his deal, I'm going to go with Joel Edmondson, who has been brilliant with Montreal and has found his game and actually is playing a lot like Jay Bomeister played. Yes. And so that that's what I'm looking for. I'm, I can't disagree with that. You know, the correct answer is that they could have used all, all of these guys yeah. in one way or another. They were missing different aspects of each player. And it's insane to think that neither one of us would pick Alex Petrangelo, but that contract means that that someone else would have to go, that you have to make a very difficult choice. And that was such the classic head in the heart battle when it came to Petro. My heart wanted him here, but my head understood why Doug Armstrong said no to the no movement clause. I understood where Army was coming from, but gosh, 
can you imagine what he could have brought to this team, especially yeah. when Colton Pareko was injured and knowing that he's the leader of this team and can be that shutdown guy that you need? They need it, and they- Montreal is in the final four. Text 65780, big mistake not signing Big Rig. Kyle Clifford paled in comparison, wasn't impressed. And Michelle, 2020 hindsight, the mistake wasn't Clifford. They, they signed Clifford with the hope that after the year's absence of Maroon that they could replace some of what he brought. The mistake, and again, it's 2020 hindsight because I agreed with re-signing Robbie Fabry. You could have re-signed Patrick Maroon for the same cost. Exactly. And Fabry got hurt again and never turned into what the Blues expected he would be. And remember, at one point during that season, the Blues didn't even know if Pat Maroon was going to be there. Remember, it was right before Pat Maroon bobblehead night. The Blues were considering making a move with Pat Maroon. And in that piece in The Athletic, they talked about how he went and he sat down with Army and he said, I'm here for the long haul. He looked him in the eyes mm-hmm. and said, I'm here for the long haul. And Army said, OK, let's go. And then obviously Pat Maroon became a huge piece of the Blues success moving forward. But I wonder if that played any role in the Blues decision to not bring him back to because so many things had to go right in order for the team to have success. And every person on that team played a very vital role and they played it well. And I, I wonder if the Blues looked at the season as a whole, the season in totality, and they wondered if, if the success Pat Maroon had was something he'd be able to replicate. Because, yeah, you're right. Where we sit right now looks like a mistake not yeah. bringing him back. And a big guy who admittedly was not in great shape. I mean, he had a T-shirt that said chubby but effective, right? <laughs> yes. uh, on the other side of 30, living in his hometown. and He's I, a hometown hero, yeah, baby. And my thought was that it could only, for him, in St. Louis, it it could only end worse than it was right now. It couldn't be any better than the way that season ended. And I think the Blues did look at all of that. They looked at the fact that he really was not effective during the first half of that season, not in great shape on the other side of 30, and thought, okay, well, we'd rather have a guy that has a chance to score some goals for us. We saw Fabry do it in his rookie year, but Fabry never got going for various reasons. He he never got going. And the Blues haven't effectively replaced Patrick Maroon. And they haven't effectively replaced Edmondson either, even though he was part of the Falk trade. Chubby but effective is a great way to describe it because you know what? Those pucks could bounce off that big body and get in the net. Yep. <laughs> uh, you need that guy. Big, and, that big body yep. to block the goaltender. I'll take yep. it all day. Yep. And the, you talk about what the Blues missed primarily during the playoffs. It's what Michelle wants back and what I want back. It's size on both ends of the ice. The person that's willing to go to the net and have the puck bounce off him into the net or just be in front to tap in the Robert Thomas shot or the guy who will keep the likes of McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen from the blue paint. And that's what Joel Edmondson does so effectively for Montreal. From the 314, Pat Maroon, by far cheap contract. We miss his confidence, his locker room presence, and his possession ability so much. The only pest left on this team is David Perron, and losing him in the playoffs, the Blues had nothing. They need some sandpaper. There's no doubt about it. And you'd hope that Clifford would be that guy, and he was kind of invisible. And you have him for another contract or another year of the contract, so hopefully he'll get back to being that guy he was in L.A. He didn't. I, I obviously nobody was ever in the in the room, but the play looked disinterested to me. That's the best way I can describe Kyle Clifford. He just he didn't look like he was really interested in being the player that he was in the past and bringing that grit that he brought to the Kings when they won a couple of Stanley Cups. I guess the best way I could describe it is that it wasn't memorable. No, not at all. <laughs> and too many invisible times. And 
we say this because the Steen Barbashev Sunquist line was so memorable. You need that fourth line with the way Barubi plays and the way that Tori Krug described it to us. You you need waves after wave after wave of hockey players, of forwards coming at you. And Clifford just didn't provide that for the Blues. Can I give you one yep. more? From the 636, I'd take Jake Allen. When Bennington was struggling, you just never knew what you were going to get out of Huso. Allen, when backing up Bennington, had fantastic numbers and brought a lot of momentum during that cup run. He definitely did. Absolutely. Now, would I want Allen at 2.875 cap hit? For the next two years, there's other things I'd rather have. I think I'd rather have Huso at 900,000. And Billy, by the way, after his first two games, his numbers were very favorable to Jake Allen's. He, he let's see, he he won, I think he was 7-4 and four with like a 2.86 and a 9.10 save percentage after his first two games. Once he got his footing at the NHL level, I thought he was fine. I love Jake Allen, too. But of that group, if if I'm going to if I'm going to put him in order, Michelle, and this is with the contracts, I would go Edmondson, Maroon, Petro, and Allen hmm. in that order because I think they're fine with Huso backing up Bennington. As great as Allen was, I think they're fine with Huso. As much as I would like to have Allen be on the team. I think the needs of the Blues are higher with those other yeah. three. And uh, you know what happens in locker rooms? This happens especially in sports because everybody knows what everybody's making. If you have Alex Petrangelo at 8.8 million and your next two highest paid players are O'Reilly, who's very important, mm-hmm. and Tarasenko, who was important when you when Petro signed that contract, all of a sudden they start saying, "Well, that guy's making 8.8 and I'm making 7.5." And you have consternation. Mm-hmm. It that can wind up being a problem. I would be surprised if the Blues, while O'Reilly and Tarasenko are here, would have a player that makes more than 7.5. I would be surprised. I would too. Because they want to balance it out. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got a game of Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Kierker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Take it or leave it now. Text in your Tioli to 65780. And Emily will have them for us. As you know, Michelle, the Cardinals are struggling. They've lost six in a row. They're falling further behind in the NL Central. Take it or leave it. John Mozeliak should make a trade for the sake of making a trade. I'm going to leave it. Because... You don't want to give up a ton if you don't think the team is going to have success this season. If your eye is on 2022 anyway, and this year in a lot of ways was about evaluation and chemistry, and you were hoping to to make hoping to win the division and make the playoffs, but not necessarily win the World Series, I wouldn't mortgage any of your future to go for it this year just because you need help. Agreed. And I know there are a lot of people that want a trade to be made, but this team isn't struggling because they need a shakeup. The team is struggling because they don't have their guys. Now, would it be great to add an outfielder like a Joey Gallo or a starting pitcher uh, like a Kyle Gibson? Yes, but not just for the sake of shaking up the clubhouse. I don't think they need a shakeup. They just need guys. They just need people to get healthy. I also don't think they're one move away from fixing everything that ails them. No, well... 
you need Bader back, but you, you would still need a fourth outfielder. And let's not count on Miles Michaelis. So you're going to need a, another starting pitcher. And the way the bullpen is being utilized, when you have three reliable relievers, you need a relief pitcher too. They are more than one move away, clearly. Okay, Randy, Aaron Rodgers, the saga and the standoff continues. He did not show up to the team's mandatory minicamp yesterday. A lot of his teammates saying that they have his back. It seems like everyone is taking sides in this. So take it or leave it. If Aaron Rodgers comes back to Green Bay at any point before the season, the team does not make the playoffs. Ooh, good one. I'm going to leave that. If, if he comes back... They don't make the playoffs? Yes. If he plays for the team this season, they don't. I'm wondering how football ready he is. I'm wondering if there's going, if this is something that's going to drag out throughout the season. Uh, The discontent, I should say. I wonder if his teammates, even if they're publicly backing him, are feeling a certain type of way about this. And I, I don't wonder if he does play, if the team does not have the success they're hoping to have. If he is back and plays in 14 games, they make the playoffs. They win the NFC North because nobody else can. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. And he's still Aaron Rodgers. He is still Aaron Rodgers. He could be traipsing around Hawaii for months, and I still have confidence in him to yeah, go out absolutely. there and be Aaron Rodgers. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 217, take it or leave it, the Cardinals trade for Kyle Gibson at or before the deadline. I'll take it, Yes. The zoo product, best pitcher for the Rangers, maybe trades a, a Ute. So how are they going to be able to have Gibson and Max Scherzer, Randy? It doesn't seem like they have an, enough in their arsenal to get both done. I think they and do. Max Scherzer is coming here. Yeah, but Max Scherzer is, you're, you're dealing probably Nolan Gorman for Max Scherzer, all right? Kyle Gibson's at a different level. You can trade... Malcolm Nunez as the key to a Kyle Gibson trade. Look forward to watching him flourish elsewhere then. Uh, Malcolm Nunez? <laughs> He'll you, be on our list. You know he will. He'll be on our, our, hold on, let me get the exact name of it here because it's a mouthful. Players the Cardinals had but gave up on but are killing it for other teams' power rankings list. We've we've got a few of those, absolutely. From the 217 Take It or Leave It, the cards take two of three from Chicago, and Randy's carrot cake is the best dessert from the morning show crew. Now, I'm going to, this is a split here, because mm. I do not think the Cardinals will take through two of three, but Randy's carrot cake, definitely take it. By far the best dessert, not only from the morning show crew. Emily, I don't know if you're a baker, but I can. I am not. Okay, I was just going to say, even if you are, Randy's carrot cake will reign supreme. Ran, Randy's carrot cake is not only the best dessert on the morning show, it's the best, I would wager, it's the best thing that any person in our lineup can cook, period. Wow, thank you. That's it's nice that you. good, Randy. That's very nice of you to say. Danny Mac agrees. Joe Vitale, who, whose palate I trust maybe mm-hmm. more than anybody, also agrees. Okay, then I'll take it. So. There we go. I, I'm thinking, by the way, I, I don't know if there's any other Mizzou pitchers out there that we could have, but if we have Gibson and Scherzer, you know, it could be like the St. Louis Tigers for the days that they pitch. <laughs> Tanner Houks with the Red Sox. There you go. Okay, we're rolling. There you go. From the, yeah. are you taking two of three for the Cardinals and the Cubs? Or are you taking or leaving that? I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, Eleven in a row, Michelle. Sorry. Man. From the three one four, take it or leave it. The ballpark's pulled pork nachos are the best nachos in St. Louis. <sighs> Come on, I'll do respect, and I know Michelle's going to take this. Definitely take it. But just go to the other side of the ballpark. 
and get the tater tot nachos. Hello. Those are the best ones. I say this with all due respect, Randy. The tater tot nachos are fine, but you have to eat them with a fork, which doesn't feel like nachos to me. I need a chip for it to truly feel like nachos. And the pulled pork nachos at Butch Stadium are not only the best nachos in St. Louis, I'd wager they're the best nachos in sports, period, at any stadium ever. I'm going to have to have you guys over and do nachos on the Traeger Grill. Last year for uh, National Nachos Day, I did them, and they were great. They were fabulous. I don't. I, I appreciate the invite, and I'll definitely come. But I'm nervous that you're going to ruin nachos for me. Like any nachos that I have after your Traeger nachos are never going to compare. Just like I could never order carrot cake anywhere else. Well, let's start here then, because I could ruin it for you right off the bat. Or you could be intrigued. Okay. <laughs> are you okay with barbecue sauce on the top of your? Oh, and by the way, they did have pulled pork, so you'll be intrigued. I know, but I'm saying they're going to be so great that you're going to ruin nachos for me. I'll never have better nachos likely than the ones that you're going to give oh, me. But the fact that you're at the ballpark changes things, I think. That's true. So. Just the same way I feel about hot dogs. You could make right. me the best hot dog on your grill, but it'll never be better than a ballpark hot dog, period. I'm with you. From the 314, take it or leave it, you'd like the Justin Falk trade back. I'm going to leave that because I don't think, remember... He signed the contract, and it's a reasonable contract with Montreal. But I just don't think the Blues were in a position after last year to, with Petro up for free agency and the other contract situations that they had, I don't think they were in a position to be able to keep Joel Edmondson. I am going to leave that, too, because I thought he was really strong for the Blues this past season. When I when I look at players or issues that the team had, he's not on that list for me. No. And Army said that at the end of the season. There were three people that if they played the same way, the Blues would be fine, and Justin Falk was one of those. As much as I love what Eddie does, he isn't a guy that's capable, number one, of getting the puck out of the zone on a regular basis. He's he's okay at that, but Falk is a guy that plays a ton of minutes and does that, and there are moments, not to the Petrangelo level, where Falk can control the play of the game. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Next up, stick around. Interesting comments from Cardinal right-hander Adam Wainwright. It's Wednesdays with Waino, brought to you by Chick-fil-A, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. We head to the Braun Crouppen Celebrity Line, and it's time for Wednesdays with Wayno. Cardinal right-hander Adam Wainwright with us on 101 ESPN. Wayno, how you doing? Doing great, guys. How are y'all? Uh, I'm doing really well. Michelle's doing well. She's back. Hey, we want to start with this, Adam, because uh, here we are past Memorial Day. It's summertime, and it's important to find out how the Wainwright Garden is looking. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's finally coming along. Uh, the the heat snap that we've had recently has kind of perked up all the, the warmer weather plants. The cucumbers and the zucchini and the tomatoes are starting to really, really pop pretty good. And, and uh, my blackberries have shot up over the last two weeks. So uh, things are things are in the right they're in the right spot. You know, we uh, seem like we're a little behind where we normally are. Maybe uh, we had that kind of that late freeze right after the season started. Kind of set things back a little bit, but we're on we're on the right base. We're on the right base. 
Adam, I remember reading about your garden one time when you took some vegetables and you gifted them to a teammate, to Matt Carpenter, and he made some salsa out of those vegetables, and that worked out pretty well. Are you, when, once things start to bloom, are you giving any vegetables or fruit to teammates these days? Oh, yeah, I'll bring in bags and bags of stuff this year. You know, I'll bring in some big old zucchinis and tons of tons of cucumbers. But what I, what I love doing is uh, making pickles for the boys. You know, they, they really like my – they like Uncle Charlie's pickles. So <laughs> uh, eventually I'm going to brand them that way and try to sell them. Um, but we'll see. Very we'll nice. We'll see how many people we can help with the, uh, with the pickle sales. But uh, right now I, I bring some stuff in. I'll bring some tomatoes in. It, it's hard to beat a big, a big old – um, Cherokee purple or a, a beefsteak sliced with a little salt and pepper on it. It's hard to beat that. Oh, yeah. Adam, if you were going to ask a player in the Cardinal Clubhouse to prepare a meal, a, a guy who's a really good cook or maybe even chef quality, who in that room has the ability to really cook well? Mm. Usually smart people are good cooks. Um, <laughs> Brevia would have been an obvious answer, but he's gone. Mm-hmm. Bowman was a good cook, I know. Uh, that's a good question. Let me think about it. Uh, you know, I know who it would be. Yachty. Because I love Puerto Rican food, and uh, and they do it right over at his house for sure. Great. That sounds awesome. Well, you know, Shane Bieber went for Cleveland last night, and Randy and I were talking about how much we love watching him pitch. Is there a guy in the league, not a Cardinal, that you love to watch pitch, a guy that you just look at and you really admire his craft? Yeah, there's a couple guys that I'm going to give you. I mean, obviously, the obvious answer is that DeGrom, you know, those guys, DeGrom and Scherzer, those are the easy answers, right? Like, anytime they're pitching, I'm going to give you two guys, though, that are a little less known. Uh, one one guy's really pitching great this year, uh, Brandon Woodruff from the from the Brewers. You know, he, he sits 97, 98 with his fastball, but he, he throws sliders, change-ups, mixes sinkers and, and four-seamers, and pitches up and down and in and out. You know, he's not just heaving it up there. That's what I like watching is the guys who are actually pitching uh, but the other guy I'll say, i got to be his biggest fan. Um, the former Cardinal Parm Hand, who's really become a number one caliber pitcher out there, Sandy Alcantara. He's just, uh, he's got such good stuff. You know, he believes in what he does out there now. He's throwing that really power sinker, 97-98 sinker. Then he's mixing that disgusting changeup in with it. A little slider, but that that changeup maybe my favorite pitch in baseball. It's like 91 to 94, and it just drops off the table. Kind of reminds me, Oviedo is going to have a changeup like that in a, in a year or two when he really figures out how to use it. Hey, Adam, we, we see you talking to Oviedo in the dugout. We've talked about your conversations with him, how you've talked to him. When we're watching you talk to him in the dugout, what's a typical Adam Wainwright, uh, Johan Oviedo conversation about? The other day, he pitched four innings, and he gave up two runs, and he threw 65 pitches, and he had to. we had to hit for him because we were having trouble scoring runs, and we had bases loaded, and it was, a, it was just, you know, we had to do it. So it's one of the, that's one of the only bad things about the National League laws for a starting pitcher not being able to, you know, pitch three, three maybe four more innings there. 
Um, but what I kept what I kept encouraging him with was he went out there and pumped strikes. He was ahead of batters. He was working ahead in the count. He was he was getting strike one a lot. Going into that game, he had it was like 42 percent or something on first pitch strikes. And the other day he was at 82 percent. So he jumped 40 percent on his first pitch strikes, which is a tremendous number for a starting pitcher to have. You got 82 percent first pitch strikes. You're going to be on the attack all day long. You're going to put the, the hitters on the defensive. But for a guy who's really struggled with walks this year, you know that was a very encouraging sign. He went out there, he attacked, he got strikeouts. At one point, I think he struck out four or five people in a row. Uh, just got great stuff. But we just, you know, he just has to learn how to to use it. You know, and so I was just fired up for him, and in the fact that, all right, he gave up a home run, he gave up a two out, base hit, another time to score run, big whoop. You you pitched today, you gave us a great chance to win the game, and you were probably going to be in line to pitch six or seven innings had we scored a few more runs or or whatever. So, you know, that's a big step for a young pitcher. So, I mean, even sometimes a, a, a young pitcher like Ovi or or anybody will 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 see the the four innings and get discouraged where I just was was reminding him that that was a great step in the process of becoming a pitcher and not just a thrower, and that's a game you can build off of. That's great, Adam. I'm curious if that transcends to other things, that that advice and that leadership. So your team right now going through a bit of a rough patch, not only not the results you want on the field, but dealing with injuries, really tough. So after a game like Sunday when you had 17 games in 17 days, the team rallies back from a seven-run deficit and you ultimately don't end up winning the game. Afterwards in the clubhouse, what's that like? Take us behind the scenes. Does does Mike Schilt come out and say something to the team as a veteran voice? Are you there to encourage encourage your teammates what's that process look like actually we had a an incredible meeting before the game you know it's been a grind we we've we've uh, had a lot of games in a row can y'all hear me okay yeah we got you yeah yeah it's it's raining hard i'm i'm doing this through a speaker um we had an incredible meeting before the game it's been uh, it's been 17 games in a row we had without any off days and you sprinkle in, all right, we don't have our center fielder. We don't have our shortstop. We've missed three of our six potential starters. You know, I mean, we've had a lot of injuries. And, and I know we're not the only ones, but that's a tough stretch. So, you know, it's easy to, to sit back and go, well, you know, we we lost those games because we were missing some players and we played a lot of games in a row. Everybody's tired. And it's easy to go, you know, kind of make excuses for that being okay where – Part of being a professional is grinding through those things. Part of being a professional is finding a way to win no matter what. And Matt Carpenter called a meeting before the game. And, you know, it's, it's awesome to see that because Matt's a guy who who has has led on the field and led in the clubhouse quietly but never been a, a call a meeting, stand on the chair, you know, fire up the boys kind of guy. That's never been Matt's style. But – what we saw out of him the other day was even a guy who's who's obviously not hitting like he wants to stand up and, and lead in a positive way. It's good to hear from position players every now and then, too, because a, a pitcher like me, I can stand up and, and yell and try to fire up the boys, you know, all the time. But sometimes you got to hear from the guys who are in the trenches every day. And Carp's been that guy for a long time. He knows what it looks like to win. He's 
he's had some huge moments for us in the postseason, stood up and reminded us that, you know what, it's been tough, but today, whatever your role is, go out there and find a way to help us win this game. So we got down 7 nothing really early in that game, and I think without that meeting, we, had, we would lose that game 7 nothing. But we came out, and who, who was the one? Tyler O'Neill hit a home run, but who was the one that really had the big knock with the base loaded? Matt Carpenter. Bases clear and double, or, or two runs scoring double off the center field fence. He goes, man, you can't give a speech and go up there and strike out. So I, <laughs> it was a huge moment where we ended up coming tough game in the end, but we walked off that field knowing that we fought our tails off. We came from seven runs back, which is almost impossible at a big league level. It just never happens. And we almost won that game, and, and, and we're probably in a really good spot to win that game at the end of the se- at the end of the game. So, yeah, we lost. It hurt. It stunk. But we go, all right, we're back on track now. Even though that was a loss, that was a tough loss. We needed that game. We just got swept four games. We walked off that field feeling a lot better about where we were headed and where our mind was going forward. Hey, Wayno, you just made reminded me of a story of the big comeback in Washington in 2012 in the playoff game. And was it you that got knocked out of that game? Thank you for reminding me, Randy. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> but it was. It wasn't it Chris Carpenter and, walking up and down the dugout saying we're going to have an epic comeback. Chris Carpenter and Skip Schumacher never stopped believing the whole time, and them just constantly preaching into everybody's minds, everybody started believing it, you know, like it, all of a sudden the impossible made perfect sense. And that's, that's the way it goes sometimes, you know, I mean, we're, uh, we're all humans. We're all people. We're playing against a bunch of people too. And, and, and sometimes you can, you can look out there and be like, wow, this team is, you know, playing better than us or we're losing by too much or whatever, but humans make mistakes. Humans give you chances. Humans, you know, have a lead off walk. And all it takes is a little bit of spirit in your mind to think that, you know what? It all starts with that lead-off walk right there. It all, that's how it starts. Like, let's go, boy. And then, you know, everybody's like, wait, it does start with lead-off walk sometimes. Then all of a sudden, the impossible makes sense. So, these things. We were leading eight to nothing, if I'm not mistaken, one time going into the bottom ninth in Colorado. So, uh, it, things happen sometimes, and, and, uh, and you just got to – you can never stop believing because as soon as you stop believing, that's when it stops being impossible. So we keep our minds sharp just in case. Just hearing you describe that, Adam, I just got really fired up. So I can imagine <laughs> what it's like in a, in a game scenario when the adrenaline's going. But I always love to ask you about the main topic around Major League Baseball. You always give us such insightful and thoughtful answers. And right now it seems like everyone is talking about foreign substances in baseball and how Major League Baseball wants to enforce this. And from the time that you started in the league until now, are guys using substances more or is it just something that, that we're now aware of? Because it seems like the way it's described is that this is baseball secret and that this has been going on for a long time. But as someone who's been in the league a long time, how has this ramped up or has it? No, I can tell you it's gotten worse uh, for sure since I've been in the league. And, and you know, there's always been uh, – guys who use a little bit of stuff because I, and I can tell you the balls now, this is the only thing I'm going to say in, in support of the pitchers who are using the really, really sticky stuff right now, but they're making the balls slicker than they've ever made them. And there's not even any doubt or question in anybody's mind about that. That's, that's one thing that needs to be talked about is 
whatever they're rubbing the balls up with, the new mud or the new balls and how hard they are and how slick they are. You know, a couple of years ago, pitchers who have been pitching for a long time, we all started getting blisters on our hands and big blood blisters and, and breaking nails for the first time ever in our career. And it's because of they're making these balls a lot harder, and there's no denying it. There's no denying it. The seams are wound way tighter. It's much more harsh on the hand, a lot harder to get a good grip. So, you know, I think to combat that, people started using stuff. Unfortunately, they, they went way above, above – uh, the place they should have you know i mean if you're going to use a little bit of like sugar gum or some kind of stick a little bit that's like you know they sunscreen and rosin has been around for a hundred years you know pitchers have been using that and if you ask the players the position players position players would tell you they want the pitcher to have an idea where the ball is going they want especially with these slick balls they don't want to get hit in the head they don't want to get hit in the face and they don't want to get hit in the arms or whatever the pitcher needs to have a little bit of tack on that ball so whether that's making the balls tackier or rubbing them up better or whatever that is, there needs to be a uniform way to do that. Now, the guys who are using all these incredibly sticky substances that you're buying offline and making special serums and all kinds of stuff, that needs to get out of the game for sure. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I experimented with a few years back, and uh, it just didn't work for me, honestly. You can tell, but you can tell now the guys – who are using it, they go to their glove every pitch. I mean, they're not hiding it. It's, it's not hard to see. So um, the, the, big, the big globs of junk that are on people's gloves and stuff, it's a problem. It needs to get sent out of the game. You know, it, it does. It just is uh, – it's, it's just overboard. You know, the, at the game's finest moment, it's a competition between the pitcher and the hitter. And the hitter needs to have a little attack on the bat so he doesn't sling it into the stands, you know, a little whatever that is, pine tar or whatever. They, they got that on the on-deck circle. The pitcher needs to have a little tack too, in my opinion, um, but not, not this crazy stuff that people are using. I mean, it's just, it's just way overboard. It's just too much. Wait, and one more thing before we talk about big league impact. Uh, after Gio had his hat taken away by Joe West, Mike Schilt went on a long rant after that final game in Chicago against the White Sox. D- did you see or hear any of that? And if so, what was your reaction to it? Well, it's too bad because, you know, guys aren't putting stuff on their hats. I mean, that's, you know, that's not where guys have stuff. You can see it. It's in their gloves and whatnot. I mean, it's you're not going to stick a big glob of sticky stuff on your hat now you will see on everybody's hat who who adjusts their hat during a game which i if you watch me pitch you'll never see me go to my arms you'll never see me go to my glove but you will see me adjust my hat i like to have that that bend right around my eyebrows man i I like to be able to barely see under my hat bill it keeps me focused so i'm constantly pulling down on that i have a little spot on there from the sun from the uh from the rosin from the sweat all that sun coming down, you know, beats down on you. Pitch a couple games, sweating like that. You're going to have a spot on there because we're dirty. We play in the dirt for a living, Randy. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're going to have a little dirt spot. You're going to have a little dirt spot on there. There's just no denying it. Everybody's hat will have it. You know, you you can remember uh, who was it that had the disgusting hat? Steve Klein Steve had Klein. a disgusting hat. Who knows? Who knows what was on that thing? And uh, we've had a couple pitchers that you know might have had. Some, I don't know what they had on there, but you just never see that anymore. I mean, in the last decade or 15 years, nobody I can recall has anything sticky on their hat at all. So when we, we got mad because there's just so many people who are glaringly, obviously 
go into their glove to get this disgusting, you know, tar, basically sticky stuff off their glove every single pitch. And yet we got a guy run in who's got a dirt spot on their hat and they're going to take his hat. That's a little crazy to me. But, you know, I mean, it needed to start somewhere. So, I mean, if that's the, if that's the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back to get baseball, you know, back where it needs to be, then that's fine. Everybody just needs to be competing at the same level. You know, and I think uh, even some of the guys who are using the stuff the most have said that over the years. They've said it's, you know, it's all about everybody having a fair chance and equal opportunity out there. And, you know, some people having, you know, crazy serum baked up by scientists or whatever or ordered offline, that's probably going a little bit too overboard. Adam Wainwright, I love the creativity that you and your staff at Big League Impact use to to raise funds. The Uncle Charlie T-shirt. I have my order in, by the way, for my Uncle Charlie T-shirt. And the trivia night coming up, too. Yes, a couple big things to talk about. Yeah, we got the trivia night. Um, it's on July 9th. It's presented by Valley Sports Midwest. West, and uh, it's going to be five rounds of Zoom trivia. You know, we're going to have some questions asked by me and some other of my teammates. There's going to be a whiskey basket, autographed items. There's lots of giveaways, uh, raffle items, too. But you can we, – we're still taking people who want to join in with us. you got to have 10 people per team. Or you can have up to 10 people per team, sorry. Um, Goldie, Austin Dean, Tommy Edmond, they're going to be joining in also. But you can register for that at bigleagueimpact.org slash trivia slash night so uh that's how to sign up for that and then we're we're still we just i know you just mentioned the shirts we uh partnered with series six a local a local uh company here in st louis for our june charity of the month and uh they just made an incredibly comfortable t-shirt it's got my ugly face on it um but it's it's called the uncle charlie shirt and uh it's the uncle charlie big league impact shirt. you can you can go onto our website and see 100% of the proceeds from these shirt sales go directly to Big League Impact. We're going to be feeding people. We're going to be giving clean water, medicine, building houses, all kinds of crazy stuff. So we would love for everybody to go out and buy a shirt, even if it does have my ugly face on it, and uh, help us do some really cool things out in the world. Adam Wainwright, you're the best. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Have fun in the start against Cleveland, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, thanks. Thank you, sir. And Chick-fil-A is a proud sponsor of Wednesdays with Wayno on 101 ESPN. Don't forget that on Wednesdays, you should stop by your local Chick-fil-A and enjoy an ice-cold SunJoy. Chick-fil-A is donating a portion of the proceeds of SunJoy Wednesdays to support big league impact through the baseball regular season. Some interesting comments there from Adam Wainwright. We'll talk more about those at the top of the hour. But next up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Carriker and Smallman, and it's time for the fight on this hump day. It's 8.34, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's welcome in Randy's competition. Luke is with us. What's up, Luke? Good morning, Michelle, Emily. How we doing? We are doing great. Uh, where are you calling from this morning, Luke? 
I'm calling from Littleton, Colorado. From Colorado. What brings you to Colorado? Uh, I've been working out here for a couple years, but me and my beautiful wife, we are actually moving back to south of St. Louis next month, so we're coming home. Awesome. Well, we are glad to have you back and enjoy the mountains while you can, and good luck versus Randy today. Thank you very much. Also, thanks for streaming us all the way out in Colorado. Very cool. Absolutely. All right, Luke. Question number one. Patrick Maroon and the Lightning defeated the Hurricanes last night, and they're going to advance to the Stanley Cup semifinals. Who is the Lightning's all-time goals leader? Is it Martin St. Louis? Is it Steven Stamkos? Or is it Nikita Kucherov? St. Louis. Last night, the Tigers' Miguel Cabrera became the 59th player in MLB history to play 2,500 games. Who has played the most games in MLB history all time? Is it Ty Cobb, Carl Yastrzemski, or Pete Rose? Oh, I think I got to go with Ty Cobb. The 2019 Stanley Cup Finals happened two years ago this week, and today is the anniversary of the Blues' 5-1 loss to the Bruins before bouncing back in Game 7 and winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Who scored the Blues' lone goal in Game 6? Was it Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, or Alex Petrangelo? Good question, Emily. Thank you. Very good question. That was a goal, if I remember correctly, it wasn't a call to goal at first, and then it was overturned, and I think it was Ryan O'Reilly who put it in the net. And last question, on this date in 1914, Pirate shortstop Honus Wagner became the second player to get 3,000 hits. Who was the first? Was it Tris Speaker, Ty Cobb, or Cap Anson? Were you, what year was it? 1914. Come on, Luke. You remember 1914 well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you repeat the, uh, the, the answers again? Yes, your options are Tris Speaker, Ty Cobb, Cap Anson. Oh, let's take a guess. Cap Anson. Okay, checking our score here. Randy's on his way back in. Gosh, the anniversary of that 5-1 to one loss. I remember so vividly the anxiety after that heading yep. into Game 7. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness they won. Yeah. Uh, Randy, as you're getting settled in, please say good morning to Luke, who is streaming us from Colorado. Luke, good morning. It's great to have you with us, and it's great to have you listening from Colorado. Thank you so much for doing so. Absolutely. Thank you, Randy. All right, Randy, question number one. Mm -hmm. The big rig, Patrick Maroon and the Lightning defeated the Hurricanes last night. They're going to advance to the Stanley Cup semifinals. Who is the Lightning's all-time goals leader? It is Steven Stamkos. Last night, the Tigers' Miguel Cabrera became the 59th player in MLB history to play 2,500 games. Who has played the most games in MLB history all time? Most games MLB history all time is a good question. I will say Hank Aaron was pretty darn durable and played for a long time. And I don't think, you know what? I'm going to say it was Pete Rose. I'm going to go with Pete Rose. Randy, the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals happened two years ago this week, and today is the anniversary of the Blues' 5-1 to loss to the Bruins before bouncing back in Game 7 no. and winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that 5-1 to loss. I was saying before you came in, I can very vividly remember the anxiety. I can feel yeah, it was it not still. great. Oh, my gosh. Heading into we Game 7. We thought we were going to win. 
We had at that home, big party. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everything was scheduled. Mm. All right, well, Randy, who scored the Blues' lone goal in Game 6? I believe that Ryan O'Reilly scored goals in each of the last four games, so I'm going to go with Ryan O'Reilly. And on this day in 1914, Pirates shortstop Honus Wagner became the second player to get 3,000 hits. Who was the first? I'm going to go with Ty Cobb. Okay. Close fight. Ring it, Emily. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. So close, Luke, but Randy just edged you out three to two. Three to two. All right, the Lightning's all-time goals leader is Steven Stamkos, 439. Pete Rose has played the most games in MLB history all-time, 3,562 games. It's a lot of games. It's a lot of games. Ryan O'Reilly is the blue that scored the lone goal in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals, and it was in the second period. And Cap Anson is, oh, Cappy, the, yeah. is the second player to get, th- or excuse me, the first player to get 3,000 hits right behind Hon- Honus Wagner. And Randy, of course, you remember this. He completed the feat July 18th of 1897. Yeah, and you just <laughs> don't meet people named Cap anymore. That's I don't know right. why that is. It should be a popular name. Cap. Hi, Cap. Is that just the name or is that short for something? I don't know. But I think Cap is a great name. Emily's going to look it up. Okay, yeah. I Let think it's a good a name, researcher too. for a moment. Yeah, people are naming their kids all sorts of stuff. Cap, Cap. needs to make a comeback. Sure does. Adrian Constantine An- Anson, nicknamed Cap and Pop. Okay, good. Cap and Pop. Wow. Adrian! Pop. I don't know yeah. why I did that. That was that was awkward. <laughs> I wish I could take that back. Luke, anyway, thank you for listening and enjoy your time in Colorado. We look forward to having you back in St. Louis. Thank you guys very much. And if, if I could, I would like to give a shout out to my beautiful wife. She is nine months pregnant and doing an awesome job. So I love you and uh, keep it up. Keep up the good work. Luke, what's your wife's name? Caitlin. She's Caitlin. listening right now. Shout out to Caitlin. Absolutely. Congratulations on the baby, too. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Luke. Luke, with a baby on the way, joining us on 101 ESPN. So we were chatting with Luke while you were in the cone of silence. Mm-hmm. And Luke and his wife are living in Colorado, but they're moving back to south of St. Louis, oh. uh, I believe he said, in a month. So looking forward to having him back home. Great to hear. Yeah. Awesome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, we're getting to this a little bit early today, earlier than usual. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. So as we know, Randy, the Cardinals in a bit of a tough spot, especially yeah. over the weekend when he gets swept by the Reds. That's never a great feeling. Not great at all. And I'm sure the Cardinals probably don't love to hear this out of Joey Votto. He didn't mince words when asked what it felt like to sweep the Cardinals over the weekend. A great team series is hard to win uh, four games in a row. It's especially hard to win four games in a row on the road. And uh, I don't know, I think... I read the last time we did that was in 1990, and, you know, we had some talking mother in St. Louis uh, after the first series sweep, and uh, it's kind of nice to go on their road, uh, you know, on uh, at their road ballpark and, and let them have it. We had some people sweeping brooms and like that while we were leaving. So how'd you like that? How'd you like that? Going full Kirk Cousins on him. How you like that? 
saying the Cardinals were some bleep-talking mother bleepers after they swept the Reds earlier this season. He, Joey Votto, should be really excited. He should be fired up, especially because his teammates did a great job of coming in here. And I, I wonder if he was even in town with the team. So maybe he was watching on TV. I don't know. Uh, he didn't participate in the sweep. And he should be excited for two reasons. Number one, he's played since 2008. He's played 13 years in the majors. And the Reds have won the season series against the Cardinals one time in 13 years. Oh, by the way, the one time they did it, 2011, Cardinals won the World Series. So that's not great. And the other thing is, is that in those 13 years, his Cincinnati Reds that he has been a key for, he's been the MVP for, he's been a great player for, they have finished ahead of the Cardinals twice in his 13 years. So he had some emotion to let out yesterday after just being dominated by the Cardinals during the good and bad parts of his career. It's Wednesday, but it might as well be Thursday morning, Randy, because it sounds like he was sick of it. (laughs) It does. It does. And he knows. Even now, they sweep the Cardinals and they're still behind. They sweep four in St. Louis and still behind him in the standings. He should be fired up that they won four in a row. But I love that passion and intensity out of him. I love the the Cardinals-Reds rivalry and the, the true feelings of dislike for one another. Mm-hmm. And yeah, after everything happened with Castellanos and the Cardinals being very vocal about the Reds, it probably did feel really good for him. Not only because it is in his career, he's never really had this moment, but coming off the bad blood that they've experienced this season. Yeah, I'm sure it felt great. I would have loved to have had him on our team for about seven years. Oh yeah, for sure. 2012 through what, 18 or something. That would have been really cool. It would have. You're killing me, Smalls. So foreign substances in baseball, it's the hot topic. We just spoke with Adam Wainwright about it uh, a couple segments ago. And there's a couple names that keep getting brought up when we're talking about foreign substances and the decrease uh, in spin rate that we're seeing from pitchers. Trevor Bauer and, of course, Garrett Cole. So... Last week, he allowed five runs in five innings in a loss to Tampa Bay, and he had a decrease of 125 rotations per minute on his four-seam fastball. So people are wondering what's up. With baseball cracking down on foreign substances, did Garrett Cole opt to not use any, and now we're seeing this decrease in spin rate? Well, he was asked specifically yesterday whether he's ever used a particular sticky paste called spider tack while on the mound, and he gave an an interesting answer. And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. 
Is that the guiltiest answer you've ever heard in your entire life? Yeah, that was a pretty easy yes or no question that wasn't answered. And there was a very long pause in there while he tried to think of what to say. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that, yes, he has used spider tack and that is this is something that needs to be discussed. And the fact of the matter is, if he gets caught with it, it is against the rules. You're not supposed to have a foreign substance on the baseball, but he hasn't been caught with it yet. He never said no. And then after a pause, followed up with there are certain practices that have been passed down, (laughs) alluding to the fact that he had done it. I, I just... Yeah. That's like when your parents when you when you come home late and they ask you, "Were you did you break curfew?" and you're like, "What? No. What are you talking about? His the car was wrong." You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to think of any possible way to dodge the real question. Right. And hey, you know what? The fact of the matter is it's not just Garrett Cole, it's not just Trevor Bauer. There's a lot of guys that are doing it, probably more than 50% of the pitchers, and it's something that baseball is addressing right now. But it would have been easy for him. Just to say, yeah, but I'm not anymore. Like Adam Wainwright did with us. Yep, and exactly. We're, we're gonna. If you didn't hear that, play that later in the show. But he told us that a couple years ago he had experimented with it, didn't work out for him, and he thinks that it's gotten out of control in baseball. But I think it, you're right. It would be a very easy thing to admit to doing if you'd done it in the past. Right. Just say it, and then say, but not anymore. You won't catch me with that, except with my old glove. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I know you love numbers. You're a oh, big I'm a numbers guy. Jersey number guy. Yep. I know you were curious and, and potentially concerned about what number Julio Jones mm-hmm. might take with the Tennessee Titans. So he wore number 11 with Atlanta, but in Tennessee, A.J. Brown already wearing number 11. He actually offered it to Julio Jones, but Julio declined, and he's instead going to wear number two with his new team. Number two. One plus one equals two. So Julio Jones is going to be two for the Tennessee Titans. Absolutely hate it. I had I a feeling you wouldn't like this. I don't think that a player that's 6'3 and 220 pounds should wear number two. I think that uh, it should be a double digit number. I think it should be either 19 or 80. He should not be number two. That is too small of a number for that big of a guy. If Tavon Austin wore number two, that would be different. What was he, number 10? Yeah. But How did I remember that? I forget because everything. Because you're, you're, you're in this room. You're a numbers girl. <laughs> I guess. But yeah, you I'm, think I would have repressed my memories of Tavon Austin? Yeah, you know, you'd think anyway. so. But yeah, that big guys, big receivers, uh, I think it's, it's kind of fun and funny when a 330-pound guy wears a single-digit number. But when you're a receiver and you're in great shape, two is not your number. One is not your number. You have to wear a double digit either in the teens. And I think it's awesome that he said no to A.J. Brown. You keep number 11 or in the 80s. I think he'd be a really good number 80. See, I am under the impression that the player makes the number not the other way around. And that if Julio Jones goes out there and balls, he'll look great in number two. He will make that number two look so fresh. He'll never look good in number two. Never. What if he's catching the winning touchdown in a Super Bowl? It won't look good. <laughs> he, he, he might catch it, and it might be fun for the Titans, but it won't look good. In fact, for perpetuity, people will say, man, why didn't he have a better number than two? I disagree, but I knew you wouldn't like this, so I had yeah. to bring it up. If he was a smaller guy, I'd be on board, but not a big receiver. 
You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, the Nuggets and the Suns square off tonight, 8.30 p.m. on TNT. Phoenix leading that series in the NBA playoffs one to nothing. Now, yesterday, the Nuggets, they gathered for a team meeting, and there was a TV in the middle of the meeting, and all of a sudden, NBA commissioner Adam Silver popped up, and he had a little bit of a message for the team. We want to make sure we turn our attention to Commissioner Adam Silver. Uh, we want to take us through a couple of things. Adam, the floor is yours. Good to see you. You too, Coach. And uh, sorry to interrupt your meeting. As you said, I have some important news. That is that it's my honor to announce that Nikola Jokic is this year's yeah. most valuable player. Congratulations, Nikola. So Nikola Jokic named the NBA, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> sorry, Randy. No problem. Um, anyway, as you heard, uh, Adam Silver announcing that he is the sixth international player Jokic is to win the NBA's MVP and the Nuggets drafted him 41st in the draft. And he talked about how he didn't even picture himself being in the NBA. He thought he was going to play in Europe because it's the closest league to his country in Serbia and that the Nuggets drafted him and it was a great opportunity for him and now he is the NBA's MVP. A great story and a great choice obviously by Denver and they might wind up for a really good team. They've done a really good job of finding guys. Drafting Michael Porter at 14, getting Jokic like you said at 41. He's the only logical choice. If you're voting for the MVP, he's the only guy that played the whole season. You couldn't vote for Harden. You couldn't vote for LeBron. So uh, Kevin Durant wasn't there the whole season. So he's the logical guy. And obviously his team is great. And he was the best player on a really good team. Uh, 26, 11, and 8. Averaging on the season for a big man, 6, 11, 284. He should be the MVP. He's well-deserving. Well-deserved. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And next up here on 101 ESPN, we're going to hear a little bit more of what Adam Wainwright had to say to us about an hour ago. Interesting comments from the Cardinal right-hander, Uncle Charlie, who pitches tonight. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. About an hour ago, we had an interesting conversation with Adam Wainwright. Wednesdays with Wayno, brought to you by Chick-fil-A. Oh, by the way, stop by Chick-fil-A on this Sunjoy Wednesday. That's their Arnold Palmer drink. And pick up a Sunjoy to support big league impact through the baseball regular season. Michelle, a lot came out of our 15, 20-minute conversation with Wayno. Yes, it did. Where would you like to start? Because I think there's, for me, at least two pretty big takeaways from that conversation. And I would say the lead and the story of the day and the story actually of the, the week in baseball is sub the foreign substance use by pitchers and whether or not Adam is as concerned about it as we as fans seem to be. Here's what he had to say. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, I experimented with a few years back and uh, it just didn't work for me, honestly. You can tell, but you can tell now the guy's who are using it, they go to their glove every pitch. I mean, they're not hiding it. It's, it's not hard to see. So um, the, the, big, the big globs of junk that are on people's gloves and stuff, it's a problem. It needs to get sent out of the game. You know, it, it does. It just is, uh, there's the, it's, just too, it's just overboard. You know, the, at the game's finest, 
moment, it's a competition between the pitcher and the hitter. And the hitter needs to have a little attack on the bat so he doesn't sling it into the stands, you know, a little whatever that is, pine tar or whatever. They, they got that on the on-deck circle. The pitcher needs to have a little tack, too, in my opinion, um, but not not this crazy stuff that people are using. I mean, it's just, it's just way overboard. That's where it appears to be. And I'm interested. I wonder why, and we didn't follow up with Adam about why it didn't work for him when he used it a couple of years ago, especially when you have a curveball like he does, why didn't it have a positive effect for him? But obviously it's having enough of a positive effect that people were going to the Angels Clubhouse guy mm-hmm. and asking him for the stick'em. We heard Garrett Cole not answer the question. We've heard, or not heard, but at least read Trevor Bauer allude to the fact that, yeah, he, he was using it. So why is it working for guys, but not others? Maybe it's the specific substance that they're using. Because Adam, in that conversation, and you should listen to the entire thing. It's up at 101 ESPN.com. He always gives us such transparent and, and thoughtful answers. You should listen to the whole conversation. But he was talking about specialty concoctions, basically. And so maybe the one that he was using wasn't as effective for him. He didn't really like the grip it gave him while other people are getting different. They're, what did he call it? Chem- chemistry, basically. Maybe what they're using is more effective for them. And it's different than what other guys have. And we should point out, and you didn't hear it there, is that he said that every pitcher agrees that the ball is so dramatically different than it has been in the past. And he's actually getting blisters that he never got before and veteran pitchers that have been around for a long time because of the ball and because of the laces and because of the smoothness of the ball pitchers are suffering hand injuries broken nails and blisters that they never had before that's right if the ball's really slick they're use they're looking for a way to combat that and to make sure that they can give their best performance and so this seemed like a solution but like a lot of things there's a line and mm-hmm. it seems like the solution was great up until a point, and then it became such a dominant factor in these performances that it negatively impacted the game as a whole. And as Bueno said, it just it, it's gotten overboard. Here's my opinion: it's baseball messing around with their sport more. If they don't mess around with the ball, we probably don't have this problem. It's a problem that baseball has brought on themselves by trying to juice up a ball and get it to fly out of the ballpark to enhance offense. And everything about the juiced ball and the new ball that baseball has produced or has had produced has turned out to be a disaster. Maybe this is already happening and I'm not aware of it, but when baseball decides to alter the ball, do they have a player council or people that are actually using the ball every day that they consult with? Because I would imagine if Adam Wainwright is telling us that the ball is so slick that it's breaking fingernails and causing blisters and that pitchers are all talking about this, that this is something Major League Baseball should at least be aware of and speak to their players about. They don't. And here's what you do. You just get... The folks in charge at Major League Baseball, and now that would include Rob Manfred, and you get Theo Epstein in there, and you get some former players that are in the front office. You get a group of players, pitchers and hitters, and you get representatives of Rawlings. You get all of those people into a room, maybe 20 people, and you have a bunch of baseballs, and you find out ultimately what the players that are playing with the ball want, what works for them, and then manufacture that baseball. 
it just seems like such a no-brainer yeah. to speak to the players about the baseball. If you're going to alter what they're using to do their job, don't you think that they would have right. the best insight possible to tell you how to improve it? You'd think so. You and think so. ultimately, most players are like Adam. They're for fairness. It's not like they aren't going to use an, un, an advantage if it's not there. But as far as the ball is concerned, I would think that hitters and pitchers, like hitters say, hey, we, we don't want that cue ball being released and coming right at our head. Mm-hmm. They, they want the pitchers to have a little tack too so that the ball can go where the pitcher wants it to. And whether or not the fans know about certain things or the media knows about certain things, if you're in the game, you're aware of what's going on. Yeah. And you're aware of your environment. And so when players are talking about the fact that they want it to be an equal playing field, whether it's steroids or whether it's tampering in college football or foreign substances on a baseball, if you're looking around at all of your peers and the majority of your peers are doing something and you're not, you're not on an equal playing field. You're the outlier. And so you're forced to make this decision whether you want to participate in this these activities or not in order to put yourself on an equal playing field with everyone. Else. Now, another per- item, like, let me talk here. Another item. Is it right? I had it last time when yeah. I started coughing, lost my place <laughs> in my notes. It happens. Another thing that Adam brought up was what happened on Sunday? Because we talk about Adam and we talk about Arenado and we talk about Yadi and we talk about Goldie and we talk about the core of the Cardinals leadership. And this surprised both Michelle and I. We actually looked at each other and said, mouth the words, Wow. I, I shouldn't mouth the word wow on you the radio. You just mouthed it at me, yeah. and I realized that we didn't hear it. But, yeah, we both looked at each other and said, wow, interesting. And Matt Carpenter called a meeting before the game. And, you know, it's, it's awesome to see that because Matt's a guy who who has, has led on the field and led in the clubhouse quietly but never been a, a call a meeting, stand on the chair, you know, fire up the boys kind of guy. That's never been Matt's style. But what we saw out of him the other day was even a guy who's, who's obviously not hitting like he wants to stand up and, and lead in a positive way. It's good to hear from position players every now and then, too, because a, a pitcher like me, I can stand up and, and yell and try to fire up the boys you know, all the time. But sometimes you got to hear from the guys who are in the trenches every day. And Carp's been that guy for a long time. He knows what it looks like to win. He's, he's had some huge moments for us in the postseason. stood up and reminded us that, you know what? It's been tough, but today, whatever your role is, go out there and find a way to help us win this game. We got down 7 nothing really early in that game, and I think without that meeting, we had, we would lose that game 7 nothing. But we came out, and who, who was the one? Tyler O'Neill had a home run, but who was the one that really had the big knock with the base loaded? Matt Carpenter. Bases clear and double, or, or two-run scoring double off the center field fence. He goes, man, you can't give a speech and go up there and strike out. So I, it was a huge moment where we ended up coming to a tough game in the end, but we walked off that field knowing that we fought our tails off. We came from seven runs back, which is almost impossible at a big league level. It just never happened. 
And oh, by the way, in the last couple of weeks, Matt Carpenter hitting 304 with an 863 OPS. He has four doubles, so he has heated up a little bit in the last 14 days. He has, and he came up in that situation, bases loaded, and the numbers were there. Matt Carpenter with the bases loaded, you like your chances there. And Adam Waiter is right. When you give the speech before the game, and you're not someone that usually gives the speech, and then you come up in a, in a high-pressure moment, and you can contribute to your team, you better execute, and he did. But we talked to Xavier Scruggs earlier in the show who talked about what the Cardinals needed to do to snap themselves out of this fun. And he mentioned Matt Carpenter specifically as somebody who may not have the entire body of work that he wanted this season, but who is still a veteran voice in this clubhouse and who's been through highs and lows with this team and with this franchise and that a lot of players in that clubhouse respect. And so his voice carries a lot of weight. So when Adam Wainwright tells us that before that game, Matt Carpenter, a guy who doesn't usually do things like this, steps up and gives a speech. Clearly, the team responded to it. So a couple of today's big things with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 913, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up, it's week two of players the Cardinals had but gave up on but are killing it for other teams. Power rankings 2.0 next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Players the Cardinals had. And he is staying! Oh my goodness! But gave up on. But are killing it for other teams. Power Rankings 2.0. Big announcement that just happened, Michelle. We got to get this out there because it's breaking news. Oh, I don't even know what this is. I'm excited. The Blues and 101 ESPN celebrating the two-year anniversary of the Blues' first Stanley Cup championship with We Went Blues Day on Saturday. The celebration will include a rebroadcast of Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale's call of Game 7 in Boston. It starts at noon here on 101 ESPN. We Went Blues Day will also offer merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, a virtual champion's walk, limited edition paintings, and more. It's Saturday and you can visit 101ESPN.com for more details on We Went Blues Day, Saturday, June 12th. Incredible news. I'll definitely be tuned in. There's few things better than reliving the magic of a championship. Great. And this is the championship. It's the first Stanley Cup in franchise history. So schedule your Saturday around it. Make sure to do your errands, be in the car, have your phone, be streaming it because that's going to be a fun thing to listen to. All right. Another fun thing to listen to is our power rankings every week of players the Cardinals had but gave up on but are killing it for other teams. Here is number 10. All right, Randy. Coming in at number 10, we have Marco Gonzalez. So since returning from that strained left forearm, Marco Gonzalez hasn't been as sharp. He gave up four four runs and five hits over four innings in a second start since returning from that injury. The Tigers got to Marco early in that outing. So he's coming in at number 10 on the list. All right. Number nine. Michelle, this is former Cardinal, of course, Stephen Piscotty, who has not had a great year for the Athletics. He was only one for six last week, and that's why he's number nine. No homers, no RBIs on the year, hitting only 217 with a 655 OPS, four homers, 11 RBIs for Stephen Piscotty. Number eight. Coming in at number eight, the guy that I would argue that has the most personality of anyone on this list, of course, it's Tommy Pham. So he had a great game on Sunday. He went one for three with a double and RBI, two walks and two steals, even though the uh, Padres lost to the Mets. But overall this season, he's batting 225. His OBP is 364 and his OPS 701. So coming in at number eight, Tommy Pham. Here comes Tommy. Number seven. 
And apparently there goes Randy. Randy A is down to number seven. Only five for 24 last week, Michelle. No homers, no RBIs on the season. Randy is hitting 252 with a 729 OPS. He does have seven homers and 27 RBIs, but he has slowed down precipitously. Number six. Another guy who's cooled off a little bit, but hard to do when you're the American League rookie for the month of May and you take the league and your team by storm is Adolis Garcia. So in the last week, he's four for 20, zero home runs, two RBI. But on the season, Randy, 277 batting average, 314 OBP, and his OPS, 863. And hit 16 homers, 42 RBIs. 16 homers, 42 RBIs. Pretty good. So even though he's cooled off slightly, he's still number six on the list. But for this weekly power ranking, he is only number six. Number five. Number five is former Cardinal Donovan Solano of the Giants. He was four for 14 last week, had a couple of RBIs. On the season, he's hitting 270, has a 686 OPS, two homers, 12 RBIs, and always in the middle of things for those Giants who have the best record in the National League. Number four. Coming in at number four, Carson Kelly. So the Diamondbacks reinstated him from the injured list about two weeks ago. He wasn't in the lineup last night, Randy, for the Diamondbacks. But in the past week, two for 17, he hit one home run, two RBI. And on the season, seven home runs, 23 RBI. So coming in at number four, Carson Kelly. All right. Uh, Next up. Number three. It's the guy traded for at least the major leaguer, traded for Nolan Arenado. It's Austin Gomber. Last week was 1-0. He threw six shutout innings and struck out six, didn't walk any. He's 4-5 and five on the season with a 4.12. Austin Gomber makes his way up to number three in this week's power rankings. Number two. Coming in at number two, the other Randall on this list. Do you think Randy Rosarena is a Randall? Oh, no, he's all the way a Randy. He's all Randy all the time? He's too much fun and loose and having a good time. That's right. Well, Randall Gritchuk, Randy, all business. He has been unbelievable this season. He, I was reading about him. He started every single game for the Blue Jays. They call him indestructible, and he's just been such a great weapon for them, indispensable for the team. In the past week, let me pull up the numbers here. Four for 19, three home runs, four RBI on the season. He has 12 home runs, 43 RBI, and he's really blossomed into such a great player for them. He is terrific, and I wish he would have blossomed here. Me and too. we don't see a lot of return for Randy uh, Randall Gritchick either. And we certainly don't see a lot of return for our number one. Number one. For the second week in a row, Michelle, it's a cub. It's Patty Sparts. It's Patrick Wisdom. Six for 21 on the week. Four homers, seven RBIs on the season. And it's a brief season for him. But he is hitting 389 with a 450 on base, a 1.0228 slug, a 1.478 OPS, a 1.478 OPS, seven homers, 10 RBIs. Patrick Wisdom with another stellar week for the Cubs. And he is the number one player the Cardinals had but gave up on but are killing it for other teams this week. Power rankings 2.0. He truly is killing it, too. Yeah, he is. A lot of these guys are on the list and killing it? Not so much. Patrick Wisdom, absolutely killing it for the Cubs. He's been a major catalyst to their success, especially with so many players on the injured list. Do the Cardinals pitch to him this weekend? I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. You know that he's going to kill you because he's killing it. He's, ki- he's killing it. Yes. Yeah. Is it? It's 
tough to have so many names on this list, but it's especially tough to have the guy at the, holding the top spot be playing for the Cubs. Yeah, it's not great. Not great. No. But at least, well, I was going to say Jason Hayward, but he left as a free agent of his own volition. We didn't choose to send him away. This is primarily a well, group of players that we have chosen to send away. True, but the Cardinals did want him to return. He chose not to. And yeah. as we know, Randy, without that rain delay speech, the, Car- the Cubs would have never won the World never. Series. No. Speaking of guys that uh, had great weeks for the Cardinals, just a few days away next Wednesday, actually that would be one week from today, is Dunctionary Day on the Bud Deck at the Budweiser Brewhouse at Ballpark Village. Cards and Marlins at 12-15. And... You can join us on the Bud Deck to enjoy the game with views looking right into the ballpark. A few reserve tables of 4-4 remain available for purchase. You can grab one of those tables, and each of your four tickets will include a hot dog, a beer, and a Dunctionary shirt. Plus, a portion of every table purchased is being donated to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. We're going to be broadcasting live that afternoon from the Bud Deck, BKM Ferrario from 11 to 2, the Fast Lane from 2 to 6. Get all the Dunctionary Day details now at 101ESPN.com. Can't wait. You and I will be there. That will be a fun day. Looking forward to it one week from today. And you can still get a table at 101ESPN.com. Coming up, a late edition, but a fun edition of Ask Uncle Randy. Get your text 65780 into the Air Comfort Service text line. Or you can simply leave us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Ask Uncle Randy is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I've been around, you know. I have been around, and you can feel free to ask me any question. If you have a first date coming up, if you have an anniversary coming up, if you you need a recommendation about what to do for uh, your weekend plans, if you want to talk sports, I'm feel free, or you can feel free to text us six five seven eight zero. Ask Uncle Randy any question you want. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? Good one. It's a fun show. Good one. How about a great one? Great show. Great show. Randy, tough question right out of the gate from the 636. How do I gently ask my 30-year-old kid if she wants money to do a weight loss program? Financial assistance to do a weight loss program. Okay. Uh, I, I wish I had a little bit more information. I wish I knew, and maybe you can text in, are you a tad overweight? Because the thing to do is ask her, 30 years old, say, hey, would I'm going to do Slim 180 to drop a few pounds. Would you like to join me? They do family deals there, and I'd like to lose a few pounds, and I'd like to have you be healthy for the long term too. Would you like to join me in a weight loss program? It doesn't have to be Slim 180, but whatever weight loss program you're doing, I think that's the gentle way to do it. And even if you aren't overweight, just say, uh, I want to drop a few pounds. Would you like to join me? I'm trying to be healthy for the long term, and I want you to be healthy for the long term too. What if she says no? There's nothing you can do. There's, If she doesn't want to try to lose weight and be a team together, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. If she says, I don't have time, Emily wants to weigh in here. I was just going to say, I think that that was a great answer, Randy. Um, my brother kind of, not gently, but he started working out and I... I've been wanting to lose some weight. And he said, hey, I'm going to go up to my uncle owns a gym. He's like, hey, I'm going to start going. And I knew I've been needed to go to the gym and start getting back in shape with COVID and, mm-hmm. you know, staying inside and doing the Uber Eats and everything. And um, 
just going with somebody helps. Mm-hmm. So if if you were to extend, you know, saying, hey, I'm doing this program or, hey, I'm going to start walking if, if you want to walk with me, stuff like that. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to ask your daughter, make it about you rather than her. Mm-hmm. So, Great advice. Yeah. Because then she won't feel attacked. Exactly. Yes. That's gentle. And I appreciate that the person texted in asking how to gently ask, yeah. knowing that it's a, a difficult conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. From the 314, Randy, what do you do when you keep getting graduation party invitations for people you've never met? Coworkers and clients have sent invitations, and I've never met their kids. Okay. If it's a coworker you like or an important client, get a small gift, get a gift card and a card. Say, hey, congratulations on the graduation. If you think it has a chance to be a fun party, go. But if you don't have the time to go for that client or a coworker, say, I really wish I could make the party. Here is the Apple iTunes gift card. Don't tell them that. Just say, here's, can you pass this card along to your son or daughter that graduated and congratulate them for me, but I'm sorry I can't make the party. Because when they send an invitation, they're asking for a gift. That's what it's all about. But which I think is ridiculous because that's all they want is the gift. They don't really care about your presence because you don't know the kid. They want the present, not the presents. Exactly. And I think that's that needs to stop because that does happen a lot. I, I think people are inviting so many people just because they want to clean up and have their kid get a nice little nest egg before they go to college, which I understand. But don't put the pressure on your coworkers or people who don't even know your child. That's unfair. No. And if it's one of your best friends and hey, there's a lot of times where you just don't cross paths with kids that much. You might see them when they're 18 or 22 and you haven't seen them since they were four or five. But if it's one of your best friends, you you go. So just pick and choose. Don't waste all your time going to these events, but do provide a gift, especially if it's a coworker that's a boss or a client that's very important. Okay, this is a question for you. I kind of subscribe to the rule of if I wouldn't invite you to my event and you invite me to yours, I don't feel like it's I'm obligated to give a gift. How do you feel about that? I I do the gift thing just to keep people happy. That's nice. Yeah. But I have spent... I want people to be happy. More money than I can tell you on oh, celebrating man. other people's life decisions. Well, and I am t- I'm about tapped out at this point. And you... It's a lot different for females that are in weddings Ugh. all the time. All right? the time. Well, you have the... Engagement party, you have the bridal shower, you have the bachelorette party, yeah. you have the wedding, you have hair and makeup and gifts around the corner. It's it's a lot. See, and from the guy's standpoint, generally, if you're married, your wife will pretty much take care of the gift. Or you just hop online and you take care of anything in the registry. And then you tell the guy, dude, I rented a tux and everybody's cool. Right. It's just a different dynamic. And you brush your hair once and you're ready to go. Yep. So unfair. From the 636, this is a great segment. Randy, who is your favorite co-host that you've ever done a show with other than Michelle, obviously? Other than Michelle. (laughs) Okay. This is very difficult. I know. And that's why I brought it up because you've worked with some extraordinary people. I have. But in terms of the person that is most like me, that I had the most fun with, just coming into the office every day and we're, we're similar it's bob ramsey mm-hmm. because rammer and i are similar ages kids similar ages we 
we think about sports the same way, we there it's one of those relationships where you you know what the other person is thinking, mm-hmm. and we just had a great time working together. And we actually did shows in the Bush Stadium press box for 25 years before we were ever on the air. I mean, we were so entertaining for each other when we <laughs> sat and watched baseball games. So from that perspective, it was Rammer. But man, the the entirety of the fast lane. And I came in yesterday when we were uh, in together and I, I told the fast lane guys, I think they're doing a great job. It's impossible to not have fun in the fast lane. And That's whether true. it was DeMarco or whether it was Dunk or whether it was BT, all in their separate ways made it a joy for me to come into work. I couldn't and agree Ronge more. And too, but I, I shouldn't leave Ronge out of that mix. Right. I, I had a great time with them. Any, and my producers, you and yep. Anthony and Chris Gardner. Any iteration of the fast lane has always been a blast. Whether yeah. it was you, Demarco Rammer, Dunk, you, Demarco, you, Demarco Brad, the the crew that the guys have now. Any iteration of it has always been so fun. Yeah, it really has. And the other thing about Rammer is that he was the one guy in the fast lane that had done it before. When Demarco started, he'd never done talk radio before. BT, Dunk. And have never done it. Ronj had done post game shows and taken calls, but he hadn't done a show like we did. So that was uh, another great thing. And, and so, and, and just all really good people. But that's a great question. Thank you. It is. Okay, two more from the 636. Randy, I have a brother who's finally burned me out after 40 years. Is there a problem saying, I'm not going to deal with this or spend the rest of my life dealing with him? Adios. There is absolutely 100% no problem with that. Give you a couple of things. Number one, uh, you didn't pick him, so you don't have to. You don't have to have him be your friend. You pick your friends. You don't pick your relatives. And number two, and this is something I think eventually we all learn. And I think it's different if you come from a, a single child family, but if you have multiple kids in the family, if you have brothers and sisters. Every single family has a level of dysfunction uh, when you have multiple kids and those relationships that go with it. To hang with it for 40 years, kudos to you. Mm -hmm. And yes, you are absolutely 100% allowed to say, you know what, I'm done. I've got my own family. I have my time that I have to spend. I don't have time for that. I have time for other things, but I I have to choose what I'm going to do with my time. And that's one of the things I'm leaving up. No, I don't have any problem with that. And I don't think anybody should. In any relationship, if the energy is not being matched, you can walk away. Yep. If you're pouring in a certain amount and you're not getting it in return, it's it's not worth your time. Yep. Good question, though, because I think a lot of us feel guilty because of that. But you don't know that person anything. You really don't. It's You didn't choose them. So don't feel bad about it. That's right. Protect your energy. Yep. From the 618, Randy, I want to start a podcast. What should I do? Okay, the first thing you need to do is get good equipment and make sure that when you do start your podcast, that it's ready to be good. So, and Michelle does a great weekly podcast, and you worked up to the point where it became great, right? You you just didn't do a show right off the bat and say, okay, we got this great podcast that's going to have a national following like you do. And especially if you don't have a broadcasting background, practice a few times before you turn it out. So equipment, practice, and then the most important thing is content. 
There are so many podcasts out there. You have to have compelling, hopefully fun content to turn out. So make sure that, and and talk to friends. Find out what people are in your circles are interested in so that they'll listen to it. Because if you're going to take a half hour, an hour out of your day, it can't be boring. You have to have compelling content. Mm -hmm. Can I throw two other things in there? Number one, let's say you want to start a a Cardinals podcast. How many podcasts are there about the Cardinals? Find a way to give it a hook, whatever that is. Maybe it's the structure of the podcast. Maybe it's what you're talking about. But try to do something that isn't already out there because that's the way you're going to distinguish yourself from all of the other podcasts that are there. And number two, don't try to do a podcast that is like anyone else's. I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into is they admire part of my take or something like that. And so they try to be like Barstool or they try to be like Bill Simmons or whatever it is, whatever person that they really enjoy that has had a gr- tremendous success. Don't try to be someone else. Just be yourself. Be have that podcast be uniquely yours and you're you're going to have your own takes your own beliefs and get them out there so that people will listen to them but good luck with it it's it's a fun thing to be able to talk and get people to listen to what you're talking about absolutely can i sneak in one more yes from the 314 because this just came in dear uncle randy how do i ask out the cycle bar instructor for the class that i go to okay this is a good call and after the class say hey, that was great. I really enjoyed that. And I had a lot of fun. And I hope that, uh, let me word this the right way. Uh, Do you want to get together for a smoothie after a class sometime? I think that's the way to do it. Obviously, cycle bar instructor (laughs) or or a cycling instructor is healthy, right? Right, of course. So you're trying to be healthy. So get together after a class sometime. That's it. Go, go for a smoothie. I like the smoothie angle. And who doesn't love a good smoothie? Everybody loves a good smoothie. That's right. And if, if it's the one here, there's a smoothie store literally right next door, correct? Yeah, Fit Flavors right around the corner. So do that. Make it, uh, if, it's, if you're asking somebody in the health industry out, make it be about health and fun. I had fun. Hey, do you want to be healthy with me and go get a smoothie? Go for it. And be confident because she's going to say yes. And, yeah, confidence is key because what's the worst thing? She says no, and then you still go to her class. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. Right, right. And you know what? There's seven other instructors. (laughs) So maybe don't go to that 5.30 a.m. class on Tuesdays. Maybe you're going to become an evening writer. Bingo. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Thanks for the text. We do appreciate it. If you missed Ask Uncle Randy or any part of our show, you can always hear our podcast That's right. We've got one, too. And it's brought to you by (laughs) I Promise. And you can get it at 101 ESPN or wherever you get your podcasts. Character and Smallman, Danny Mac with BK coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over with our buddy Daniel next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Andy Mack is here, and we want you to be able to win a pair of lawn tickets to see Shinedown. Shinedown, along with Seether, that's my favorite, Bad Flower, and many more. This year's Point Fest on September 19th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Now through Friday, you can get lawns or select reserve seats for just $19.95, plus fees for Point Fest featuring Shinedown. So uh, that's pretty good. Reserve seats for just $19.95 and Point Fest featuring Shinedown. Find all the ticket info and get entered to win free tickets right now at 101ESPN.com and on your 101 ESPN mobile app. As a matter of fact, we've got a pair of tickets to give away, Michelle. Let's do it. All right. The question is, and you have to be your the 10th texter to 65780 with the answer to this question, which Cardinal called the team meeting on Sunday? Adam Wainwright told us that a Cardinal called a team meeting on Sunday. Which Cardinal called the team meeting? And we want your text, 65780. If you are the 10th person to tell us correctly who it was, you win those tickets for Shinedown, Seether, and Badflower at Point Fest. Randy, have you ever, ever been in a mosh pit? I never have, no. Dan? No. <laughs> So I've, I've avoided No, that. I, I have not. Have you, Michelle? No, of course not. No. Okay, just wanted to know. <laughs> it's a random question. Well, we're talking about Point Fest and Shine Down and Seether and metal bands and rock bands. So I was just curious. Because I know Randy, huge Seether guy. So. Oh, yeah, Seether's my band. So uh, Wayno had a, uh, they said they had a team meeting, huh? Yeah, on Sunday. And uh, let's see, do we have 10? We have far more than 10. Oh, okay. So you can reveal the answer. It was Matt Carpenter that got up on the chair. And said, uh, hey, you guys, don't give up. Things aren't going great here, but uh, just keep fighting. Keep battling. Keep and they, fighting. They keep did battling. on Sunday, and they tied the game at seven apiece. Yeah, that was great. Came up a little short. He had a big hit in that game, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big double for the uh, Albertos. And then came back, apparently, to the dugout and said, you can't call a team meeting and then strike out. Well, you can't do that. I mean, you got you got to back it up, right? <laughs> yeah. exactly. So if you're a team leader, you got to back it up a little bit and have that track record or come through at the right time and um yeah things just aren't going well right now for the cardinals another loss last night that's six in a row you know it's not just the manner uh, it's not just the way or losing the games it's just kind of the manner in which things are going i mean they've led four out of this last 72 innings so you're always playing catch up mm-hmm. and uh right now it's not only the pitching that has struggled but you know during these I think last seven or eight games are averaging about three runs a game. So it's it's been collectively not going well for the uh, for the uh, local nine. And you just kind of wonder where the end is in sight because you know a lot of guys still a ways away before they come back from injury, and you're still dealing with hitting batters and the walks and the offense not necessarily providing you. So it's it's kind of frustrating in all aspects right now. I think you got the right guy in the mound though tonight. Yep. That's right. Um, you know, this is, I mentioned it during the game last night. It's kind of eerily similar to what was going on when Cleveland was in town at the end of August of last season, when the Cardinals had come back and they're missing all these players with COVID. And it was a Friday night. If memory serves correct in that series, a weekend series against the Indians in that Friday night, Daniel Ponce de gave you like, one inning or something like that, two innings, and they were on fumes. The bullpen was on fumes. And the next day it went to extra innings, and there was a base running mistake that cost them the game. And Wayno texted out to everybody, said, I got you. If I have to go 130, 140 pitches, I'm, I'm going to save the bullpen one way or another. You know, hopefully we win the game, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the distance. I'm going to save the bullpen. And it, to me, it was the game of the year, and it changed their season, where he went nine innings on his 39th birthday, and you had a complete game in front of an empty stadium and he was emotional afterwards. And this is when they need him to step up. I mean, when you're missing 60% of your rotation and 
guys aren't throwing strikes out of the bullpen at times and you're not hitting, this is when you have to have somebody step up and stop the bleeding. And hopefully that's um, from the Cardinals' perspective, Wayno, tonight. Dan, how much do you think they miss Molina over the course of the last half week or so? I think they miss him, and I, I to me, they just miss a lot of guys. You know, when you look at the bench and you've got, uh, you know, one of your options is Lane Thomas, who's hitting 100. Yeah. And you're, Justin Williams has been fine as a pinch hitter. Carpenter, actually, and I pointed out last night on the game, he's been fine as a pinch hitter. But the problem that you have is there have been times like on this homestand where you've got Carpenter at second base and some plays aren't made, no fault to him. He just doesn't have the range of a Tommy Edmond. And then you got Edmond in right field. Uh, you're talking about putting Carlson in center and not having Carlson in right. Uh, it's just the trickle-down effect of the injuries has been really huge, and it's not to make excuses. It's a fact. Yeah. The injuries have really hurt this team, but they got to find a way. And And maybe the way that you have to look at it is – trying to get into the soft spot of the schedule where things do get a little bit easier after this weekend. Uh, and I'm not sure. They, I think they come home with Miami and you got Colorado, you got Detroit, you got lesser teams coming up to where you hope that you can keep your head above water and try to get these guys back. But they really miss Bader, DeYoung, Huge. Uh, Michaelis, KK, not giving you the innings. I mean, it's just... It just it, it has an effect, and it's it's really taking a toll on this team. You mentioned last night when Nagoski came up that it was Molina, and then Nagoski, Thomas, and Rondon were the other guys on the bench. So really, it's a three-man bench because right. Molina was going to play unless there was an emergency. Right, and after Nagoski made the out, those three players are 7 for 70 on the season. That's right. And so if you have either Harrison Bader or Paul DeYoung, all of a sudden uh, – Matt Carpenter, who's hitting 260 over the last month and over 300 over the last couple of weeks, he is, and people don't want to hear this, he's a, a bench alternative that's better, far better than anything that you have. And he would have been your left-handed option yep. against a right-handed pitcher. Yep. So, yeah, I'm with you. And, and actually, pinch hitting-wise, he's among the league leaders in home runs and runs batted in. He's been fine in that in that role, but... You know, at this point, you look at it, is is he your best op- option as an everyday player? And the answer is no. Tommy Edmond at second defensively and what he brings and what you can do in right field. So, yeah, they just uh, – it's just a tough stretch, man. Yeah. This has been – and, again, it's it's – I give them credit for what happened over the weekend. They fought to get the, at least the tying run and, you know, to the plate, uh, potential winning runs, but they just have not had that big hit come through. And here you are. You, you've dropped now, what, six in a row? And uh doesn't get any easier tonight. That Cleveland team, the middle of their lineup is good. But that's a team that, generally speaking, this year has not hit. No. And they hit all night last night. Yeah. Like Ricky Horton told us earlier in the week, you're never as good as you think you are when things are going well and never as bad as you think you are when things are going bad. As I said last night, too, this too shall end. It does. <laughs> yep. It's it's baseball. It's 162 games. It'll get better. But, man, in the moment, it's it's hard to watch. Yeah, I loved last night when Ricky was like, we've been trying to talk about positive things, so let's talk about the fans again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So Ricky and uh, the radio crew will be going out to Wrigley. They're going to start great. traveling, which is awesome. And um, so the radio crew and the Indians radio crew is here in town. So we're getting back to some sense of normalcy and seeing some of the, the friends that we've made over the years in these uh, broadcasters. There was a story, and I'm sure you saw it in The Athletic, about broadcasters going on the road. And Susan Waldman, the Yankees broadcaster, when the White Sox broadcasters came to Yankee Stadium, said she was running up and down the hallway saying, we've got company, we've got yes. company. Well, that, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen these. These are some of my really good friends. I haven't yeah. seen them for two years. 
Nuts. That's yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it really so is. It'll be good, and it'll be good to have you and uh, your partners back out on the road, too. That's important. It's, it's, uh, it's not easy to do. And I, I've told you before, it, w- what you have been able to do over the last couple of years, not being in the ballparks, is remarkable. But you can't do your job properly. And if, you're, if you have pride in your job, you want to do it properly. But you can't unless you're there. Baseball is a, ha- a hard game to do off the monitor. Um, and I'm not just it, it's just hard yeah. I mean it's been hard I don't know when we're going to go back out on the road I know people ask me all the time I have no idea um, but when you're trying to find the shift with every pitch and looking at one monitor and then going back here and then who's on deck and are they double switching and who's getting loose I mean it's just it's just a lot you know and when you have a game going east to west like basketball hockey football to an extent it's much easier mm-hmm. and this game is not that way it's not it's not going, you know, east to west. You're going east, west, north, south, trying to figure it out. And, you know, you're at the of people trying to do the best they can. And I think we've I, I think we've presented the games as, as, as well as we can with the uh, situation we're in. It's not ideal, but, you know, maybe at some point we get back on the road. Who knows? Can you imagine if the pandemic would have been 25 years ago and we didn't have HD? To trying to do games off of TV without HD and not being able to see numbers and stuff. Well, or you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do it. No. Because there would have been no world feed. There would have been no monitors. There would have been nothing. Right. You know. Would have been impossible. Yeah. Who do we got coming up on the Danny Mac Show? I uh, know one of our guests is going to be uh, Mr. Hamilton, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Indians. He's great. He's one been of the around. best in the business. He is. He's been around for a long, long time. And... Uh, We'll get into some of the league stuff that's happening with the sticky stuff. I know you guys talked about that with Wayno, so uh, hopefully we get some of that sound in the in the show as well and kind of recap what happened last night. Looking forward to it. And Michelle is off for a long weekend. She's going to run a half marathon, which is great. Good luck to you. Thank you. First one since 2019. A little yeah. nervous. You'll about make it. it. Thanks, Dan. So, And you'll be in with me tomorrow. Yes, sir. Looking forward to that. Uh, Emily Butcher, our producer engineer, always doing great work. Thanks. Thank you. And Michelle, have a great trip. We'll miss you. Thanks. I will see you guys next week. All right. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.